0: Hi, I'm Laura Mize, Pediatric Speech-Language Pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Today, we're going to talk about something that is pretty new to me that I've not done forever with the consistency that I'm currently trying to do. And so I want to be sure to offer these strategies to you as well. And so this is podcast number 397, and it's called Getting Started with Visual Supports for Toddlers. And again, I've used visual supports off and on, but this is something I'm really working on for me. And so I hope with this uh Course And with this podcast today, I can share with you the things that I'm really trying to revamp. And that's so important for us as we continue our careers. Whether this is your first year in practice or your 15th year or your 25th year or your 35th year, that we are always looking for new strategies to share with our uh, families that we're working with. And this is especially important right now with the time that we're living in with so many of us doing telehealth visits and really trying to give families strategies that they can use during times of emotional uh, instability or insecurity. And so lots of our little friends at home, now no doubt lots of them are saying, this is the very best time of my life (laughs) because my mom is home every day and I don't have to go to the babysitters or I don't have to go to daycare or some kids are really enjoying not even being in preschool. They just, it feels like Saturday every day. So no doubt there are some children that if we wrote a social story or we did a visual uh, support system for them, it would be like, woohoo, This is great. Yay, Mama's here. But there are some children who, uh, regardless of what time they're living in, have some difficulty understanding what we want them to do, even in a daily routine. Or when there's a new event or something that is a situation that's kind of predisposed to make them uncomfortable, like going to the dentist or getting a shot or getting a haircut, because of their sensory processing differences, they may need some support and need some help to either prepare them to help them participate in the activity or Or, how I use this a lot with my little guys, it's just our language-delayed little friends who need some help learning to talk about recent events so that they can process things, be prepared for the next time, and also so that we can just give them vocabulary and help teach them to talk about the things that they are currently doing or have done. So that's what we're going to start with today, With is getting started with all these ways that we can use visual supports. And again, these techniques are so valuable for children because they do help them successfully transition and then participate and because of that because we're looking at children rather than just purely using their auditory Uh, abilities or their language comprehension abilities, we are giving them another way to help link meaning with words with using these pictures or visual supports. And so the kids that this strategy really works best for are children with those visual learning preferences. So what do I mean by that? I mean children who at two uh, may already be doing some reading. You know, that's called hyperlexia. It is really associated with children who are on the autism spectrum, but also a lot of zany brainy kids are uh, early readers too, and so you can't always use that as a marker, and for sometimes those kids, a lot of times when kids have those really honed in visual skills, their auditory systems may even be weaker. And so you try to kind of think about that as a therapist. Is that because visually they're compensating for that auditory weakness? So their visual system is uh, again, kind of taken over because language isn't as meaningful for them as we would want it to be yet. Or is it because their system, again, they're so just naturally disposed to having those uh, visual strengths that that's that's where they've blossomed. That's where they're really, really, um, really, really their sweet spot. That, that's what does it for them. That's how they learn. They're visual learners. And so again, you can kind of think about it as a weakness or a strength, but I always prefer to think about it with a strength. And that's uh, certainly a better way to kind of go with it when we're explaining it to parents. And if you're a parent that you've just stumbled on this podcast on YouTube because you're looking for solutions for your child. Maybe you've uh, searched a term like social stories, or maybe you know that your child has some uh, difficulties with certain uh, upcoming routines or things that are happening in your life that you wanna help him process through. And so this information will be valuable for you as well. So don't let that scare you. If you're just a mom and you found this show and you're thinking, oh, she's a therapist and she's talking about a lot of scary things. Does this mean my child has autism because he needs a social story? Absolutely not. You can use social stories with a variety of children. I use them a lot in my practice. Again, I've, I've talked with you, I've already mentioned uh, situations that are coming up for children who are language delayed and that you just need that extra support for. Used it uh, to help children process things. I have a little guy right now who's had a significant family change, and he's, because of that, his mom is having some difficulty with bedtime, and so we've talked about using so how we can use a social story and write a social story for him to make that bedtime routine a lot easier and so again you can use this with any kid that you're having some difficulty with or you need an additional strategy for and I think this is so important in our uh, new age right now of social distancing where lots of us as therapists are still trying to provide our family support through technology. And so you may be sharing this video with a family because you think that uh, this could really help them in helping their child work through something that's going on or either prepare for an upcoming event. So those are the situations where we use visual supports. And again, I kind of laughingly or jokingly referred to this as visual supports light, because this is an area that I I don't, I feel like I still have a lot to learn with this and that I could do even more. And as I preface the show, This is something that I'm really trying to kind of hone my skills with and so, or, you know, really shore up my skills. So I want to be sure that I'm passing that along as well. All right. So how, what are some different kinds of visual supports and how do you know what to use? The most common visual supports of course are pictures. So how do you know when a picture is appropriate to use for a child? We have to make sure that pictures are meaningful for children. And so the very best way to do that is just, let's just kind of look at how they use pictures already in their lives. Do they like to look? get books are they going and getting a book or do you fight them do you have to really fight them to sit down and really uh they they resist and they avoid reading a book with you and maybe reading for some children is pretty solitary and a lot of times when kids are like this and they still have some visual learning preferences but instead of looking at the pictures they're really you know maybe with if they had my papers here and if this were a little uh paper book, they would just flip through the pictures, or even with a cardboard book, they're flipping through those pictures pretty fast, and those kids are visual kids. They are getting a visual bum, but it is really a self-stimulatory behavior at that point, because they like they like whatever visual uh, feedback they're getting when they do that, and so that's not really a language activity. So if you have a child, or even a picture activity, so if you have a child who's using a book like that, and you're thinking, well, he likes books, he like he obviously he's attracted to this. We still have to make sure that the child is becoming symbolic, meaning that the picture means something to him, so that he can see a picture of glasses and know that that picture means uh, the the object it's the same that they again it shares meaning he's becoming symbolic so some common visual support systems for kids that we determine that pictures are relevant would be visual schedules so that we're helping them understand what what uh, helping them predict events so that they know what's going to come next for some children this really helps with transitions too because it kind of takes the uh, making you be the bad guy out of that with your verbal directions you know i have some kids right now that uh, f- f- were that i was seeing in little dyads or little groups of two that had a really really hard time participating with What event was coming next or what activity we were going to do next? They just never seem to want to do the next activity when we're suggesting it or even when it's a verbal choice, but you use a picture to make a choice or something like a visual schedule that we're going to talk about in a minute. And it, it just made it more objective for those kids. It's kind of like, okay, well, the pick this, it's on the schedule. (laughs) So we're going to do it. And so it made it, uh, just easier to kind of, uh, get, get to the next, uh, activity without the balk and without the difficulty that a lot of kids have a transition. So visual schedules are great for that. Other visual uh, systems here, visual supports would be routine or social stories. Now, lots of us use a term like social story, which is actually trademarked by uh, Dr. Carol Gray, who's an educator that we're going to talk about in a minute when we get to that section. But she has some very specific criteria for, you, for being able to call a story that you're using a social story. So we may, as professionals, want to be careful about that and call them routine books or routine scripts or schedule books or event books. Something that may not violate Dr. Gray's trademark and may not uh, particularly meet all of her criteria there with social stories. And another really important kind of visual support is video modeling. Now, I rail against (laughs) too much screen time for kids Constantly. And if you follow my work for any length of time, gosh, I started writing about this way back when Teach Me to Talk started in 2008. Just about how kids at that time, you know, were kind of glued to the big screen TVs, and now we've uh, that's evolved into being glued to their little tablets or their mom's phones. Or even I have I know some families that have said they, you know, jokingly say that's his phone about the toddler. It's an older phone that they just still have service on, so that child can watch videos and watch YouTube or do something, play a game or something like that. And I am not slamming that in this age of technology. And certainly when we are so uh, forced to not be one-on-one or not have direct uh, in-person therapy anymore, technology is fantastic for that. However, some kids many children really become overstimulated with too much screen time. And that's why the American Academy of Pediatrics has really cautioned about the amount of screen time that we allow young children. The recommendation before a couple years ago was that children under three didn't have screen time at all. And that just now seems a little bit archaic or far-fetched that a family would actually do that, even though I've had lots of families do that really, really successfully. Not necessarily in 2020, but if you did in 2018, and 2015 and 2012 certainly is still an option and if a child is responding so negatively and becoming so overstimulated by too much screen time that's certainly something that we want to share with parents and certainly something that we as professionals should say hey I know you're confined I know you're inside I know he's not going to school anymore and you just want to do everything you can to you know pump those little educational videos in him but actually we may be doing more harm than good for lots of kids because they do uh demonstrate increased Increased irritability and just are really, really their fuses are super short because they've had too much screen time. And so, even though I'm recommending video modeling as a visual support for some children, don't get the wrong idea that I'm thinking that we can just put a child in front of a screen and he's automatically going to learn language or learn whatever the uh, to work through whatever issue there is or problem there is. Because sometimes, uh, lots of times, that's not going to happen because the language level is too. High for the child to really, really process what you need him to learn. And so this needs to be very individualistic. But now that I've given you all the cons, let me give you the pro. Some children really do learn best by video modeling. I've had some kids that We have just worked and worked and worked on imitation, and again, we've laid the groundwork for it. I'm not taking away from any of the work that I have done with a child (laughs) on getting him to imitate, but we work and we work and we work on it, and then mom shows him a video on YouTube with some kids clapping or dancing, and he starts to do it. And again, I know that we have laid the groundwork in therapy, and that if we had not done that one-on-one, if we had not worked our hind ends off, the parents and me, with getting a child to really, 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 uh, again, uh, attend to us with social referencing and then start to really be with us with joint attention and eye contact and lots of hand over hand motor assistance to so that a child really really understands what they're supposed to copy and we get all that going and then you show them a video of the skill that you want them to do say it's waving bye-bye or clapping like i said or dancing or any kind of motoric imitation and then they do it and you think "Aha." This video modeling must have its place, and it certainly does, and it certainly does for some children. But I don't want you to misunderstand me that I'm saying that you know we just make a video of everything we want a kid to learn, and he's going to learn everything by by video. And we know that's not true. We know that research tells us that children, uh, their brain activities with uh, brain scans are uh, different locations in their little brains. And there's actually more activity going on when there's real live interaction than when they're just passively watching a screen. And so we want to be sure that we're keeping that in mind too. All right. So we keep that balanced opinion there with when video modeling is effective and, you know, just the short, sweet little burst that we uh, could use for that. And we'll talk about how to do some video modeling and how to get that going. Uh, But I did want to mention that. And talk about kind of, again, both sides of that coin so that you'll know that I'm not all in on 40 hours a week of screen time for a kid. Absolutely not. Just these little short bursts. All right, so that's pictures. That's when we can use a a picture for a good visual support. And remember that a child does have to link some meaning to that. You do have to know that the pictures are... Uh, becoming uh, real to that child, meaning that we, we already talked about that example with glasses here, that he knows that when you take a picture of his sippy cup, that you really are, uh, it's the same thing. We're referring to that sippy cup. So again, we want that to be meaningful. So what do you do for kids when it's not meaningful yet? Do you just say... Well forget it. Pictures will never be successful. Absolutely not. You gotta back up because remember anytime something's too hard when we're working on it as a therapist or as a parent, when a child's not getting it and not not uh acquiring that skill we know it's too hard so what do we have to do we have to back up and figure out what's that next little step that comes just before that because that may be what he's missing now sometimes it's two or three steps back (laughs) but you don't know that until you start with what that skill is so if we're looking at using pictures with a child and we think this child does not understand pictures what can we do the picture exchange communication system packs uh, a very popular uh, aac strategy that we use as speech language pathologists especially for children with autism who are nonverbal. that we're helping them learn pragmatically and not only they're not talking yet so they're not saying that word but we're helping them just learn the process of initiating and the process of requesting we start that with very simple pictures that really are for highly preferred, highly motivating activities. So when you have a child with a picture of a goldfish and he loves, I'm talking about snacks here, goldfish crackers, he loves that cracker and you teach him that instead of you know, not knowing how to ask for that or you know, having a meltdown or whatever, whatever way he's using now that he can't communicate that he wants more goldfish, we teach him to trade that picture To ask for a goldfish. And over time, the child starts to really learn and link meaning with, hey, this picture, oh, it's the same visually here. And when I give mom this, I get the goldfish. And so we're teaching children with that method, with that therapy strategy, to understand what pictures mean. And so that's an alternative. When you have a kid that you don't think pictures are meaningful for yet, Try some packs and just some direct one-on-one training. Now, sometimes parents in their zeal and even therapists to help a child who you think that pictures should be more successful for because of their learning Uh, preferences that we talked about. Maybe they visually stem. Maybe they do get right down on their iPad. Maybe they really are spending a lot of time watching the ceiling fan. And maybe they really are on their bellies spinning wheels on cars and vehicles and trains. And so, you know, hey, he really likes things he can see. You know, he's got, he's got a thing about this visual processing. That's a strength for him. You know, when you're thinking, hey, how can can I link this with language, and how can we make this communicative? Pex is a really, really, really good way to get that started. Now, for some children, though, there's an even further step back, and that would be using the actual object to help a child understand what's going to come next. And so we call those transition objects. Or, And again, this would be for children who don't yet use pictures and need a more concrete representation of what they want them to do. So now we've kind of talked about what visual supports are and what children they're best for. And now I've given you some examples of uh, visual systems. So let's start to talk about how we can really use this and kind of the down and dirty information where this is how we make this effective and this is how we use this with children. And again, because I'm a speech language pathologist, we're talking about today helping children with language delays and language disorders. And so again, this would mean that kids who are having a difficult time following the the verbal direction alone or just kind of learning what comes next in an activity uh, just from participating in it every day there needs to be another there's some kind of problem going on or you anticipate that there might be a problem going on and so you know that you're going to provide an additional way to help them understand uh, what's coming up and so let's get going with how we can use this so we talked. Let's talk about the easier option first, or the most simplistic option first, with our objects as visual supports. So, what can we do for this? Let's say, let's let's give a, some real life examples first, and then we'll give some therapy examples. So, let's say at home that a child always has difficulty um, brushing her teeth, and so let's say that mom has tried to use. Begging, she's tried to use scolding, she's tried to use <laughs> everything she can. And she may even be using some sensory strategies like normalizing sensation in her hands. She might be doing some whole body strategies that her occupational therapists taught her, like getting lots of movement before toothbrushing, doing everything to make sure her little body is regulated and can process it or as sometimes I say to parents so they can handle it so they can handle it without freaking out for lack of a better word and so mom may have done a lot of different things with toothbrushing, and it's still kind of a disaster the child still doesn't want to let her in her mouth this is a child who has a lot of uh tactile sensitivities in her mouth so what could mom do? And let's say, again, the pictures haven't been as successful because she still doesn't understand. Or sometimes you think, well, she sees the picture and the picture sets her off because she knows what's going to happen next. For those kinds of kids, sometimes it really is, isn't is that they uh, don't understand that it set them off. They just really don't know what's coming next. The picture, again, isn't meaningful for them. So for that kind of kid you're still going to do your sensory supports. You're still going to you know, make sure they have movement or do whatever the OT has found or what mom has found in her uh, wisdom as this child's mother that makes it go easier But you add something like giving her the toothbrush to walk to the bathroom. Or maybe there's an activity that comes after toothbrushing. Or that you've paired with toothbrushing to make that easier. Maybe you've decided, hey, if I put her up on the counter and let her look in the mirror. Or if I brush her teeth and she holds her own toothbrush, she does better. So here that transition object might be her toothbrush that she gets to hold, or it might be if you let her hold a hand mirror while you're doing it, or if she holds the vibrating toothbrush while you use another vibrating toothbrush in her mouth, whatever you've come up with. My point here isn't the strategies for toothbrushing. My point is that you could use an object to help a child understand what comes next. And so if a child has difficulty, and again, sometimes it's not, we think it's difficulty with the next activity, but really it's it's difficulty that they don't really understand what's coming up next. Next, or that they don't want to leave what it is that they're currently doing. So we have to give them that object as the next representation of, hey, it's okay to leave the school bus right now because we're going to go play with uh, pretend food. And so if you're trying to get a child, and again, we've kind of moved on to a therapy example, but if you have a kid who's, who's kind of always wants to stay with what what that last activity was. And parents tell you this too. They'll say, you know, maybe your kids now that you're seeing through telehealth You've noticed that in sessions, they have a really hard time with letting go of one activity so that they can move on to the next one, and sometimes it really is that they just don't understand that the next activity will be fun too, and parents are going to tell you the same kind of issues happening with them at home, so you give them that object for what's coming next so that they know, and it's uh, and, and with with the kids that this works for, it's like magic because you hand them the washcloth that it's time to go take a bath, and they're suddenly with you because they understand they're not fighting, you're not fighting them them tooth and nail or they're not fighting you tooth and nail to stay where they were in that that past activity or that last activity they're ready to kind of move on and so um, it's a really really nice strategy to use and so if you have children at home that again are not um following directions, not always understanding and processing what comes next. And some kids who have those kind of language delays don't have issues with this. Their parents can just move them throughout the day, one thing to another. But there is a subset of kids because of their sensory processing differences and their sensory regulatory uh, maturity level, that moving on to something else is just really, really hard. And so this is a great strategy that you can use with that. So think about what the next activity would be coming next and have mom have that an object from that activity so that it helps that child understand oh we're moving on now it's time to go in the kitchen and eat now it's time to put my shoes on because we're gonna uh you know get to go outside today now it's time to um I was going to use an example like school, but nobody's going to school right now, but you know, these shows live on. When kids get to finally go back to school, (laughs) you show them their backpacks so that they see, oh yeah, I'm getting ready to go to school. Yeah, I can stop watching the show because that's going to be fun too. And so think about how you can use those objects. Now, sometimes I hold the new object until the child participates at least a little in cleaning up what the previous activity was or so he shows me that he's ready to move on to the new activity. And that Cleanup phase is a really important thing too, because lots of times with children who are having difficulty with transitions, if we can get some activities going like a cleanup song or like a cleanup activity, even when they've loved the activity and they're not quite so happy about moving on to the next one, it just becomes the routine. And again, this helps them regulate. And so you might use things like bags for you to put uh, your toys in, or for a parent. At home, what I like to suggest to parents is that they put things away for one activity. So if a child is having difficulty moving on, he doesn't want to get out of the high chair. He doesn't want to um, leave the the kitchen for for breakfast because he's just not ready to move on yet. Sometimes having a little job, like his object might be you give him the wipe and he's going to wipe his high chair tray and you give him a sippy cup so that he's going to put his sippy cup into the sink there and then you give him an object that would represent the next thing you were going to do so if you're going to move to another part of your home say mom's going to fold clothes on her bed in the bedroom that might be what she says is you know here's this here's this cloth or here's this towel come with me let's go fold these clothes and so you've got you know your next object you're always doing that does that require some advanced prep by parents Absolutely, but everything requires advanced preparation by parents. You don't change a kid's diaper without having the new diaper and the wipes, and you know if, if whatever else you use for that, the cream. You don't you prepare, and so sometimes we as therapists get caught up in. Well, I don't want to ask a parent to do something extra, or they're just that, that's too much. And I get that, but on the other hand, they need help. <laughs> they need something that works. So if you can say to them always get some little object from your next activity so that you can help your child who they are already saying, this is a problem for me. This is a problem for him. I want a better solution. They're gonna accept that recommendation. And so don't be so afraid as a therapist to suggest that a parent might do that. Now you will have some parents that balk at doing anything different. But my experience has been when, when parents have gone to the difficulty of getting their children therapy, And they've gone they know that they need help they unless you're there by court order which does happen too but they want some additional things to do so that's certainly a strategy worth pursuing especially when there are significant issues with transitions and when there are significant language processing problems so that the child really doesn't understand from a mom's verbal directions alone what's going to happen uh, for the next event. So so those were using objects as visual support. So now let's move on and and talk about the different kinds of pictures that we can use. And more importantly, how we're going to use them. Now, I talked about this before. The most common new way that I'm using visual supports with children is a visual schedule. Now, in the past, I had not done a lot of this, but I've just gotten a group of children in this the Lord has just blessed me with my current caseload with a group of children who all, nearly, not all of them, I would say at least half of them are really benefiting from using some visual supports in therapy. And so one of the ways that we really have made this most successful is when I'm seeing kids together in a little group. And so I talked about this before, how I have Uh, one little guy especially, who is so bright that he kind of wants to come up with his own uh, activity. He wants to choose his own thing, whether that's on the schedule or not, or sometimes would kind of balk at whatever it is that I suggested or his mom suggested, and not all the time. I don't want to portray him as overtly negative because he is a precious little boy that I can't wait to see again. But at the same time, the visual system really, really, really helped him be able to move on to that new activity. And so this was what we were doing a month ago. The last time that I got to see kids in person, you know, we just start out with whatever the first activity is. And so you just have little pictures here. And you can see that I've laminated the picture here. And that's something as a therapist, if you don't have a laminator that is a really good investment for you. Just a cheap little 30 buck laminator at uh, Walmart or Target or wherever, Amazon. <laughs> That's something you can buy right now to kind of get ready for when we get to go back to work. And so uh, laminating pictures. And you know what I've been doing? I take a lot of pictures to laminate, but Google Images has just about anything that you could want. And so you go. I just Googled all the little activities that we were doing. Uh, that week, and so we have our kind of gross motor motor warm-up activity with our punch balloons that we did, and then our first little group activity with our picture of our carpet circles, so we could sit down and have our little circle time there, and then just our next, our sensory table picture, and a picture of Play-Doh, and so how you use this is you really talk about it, and you don't have to make a big deal about saying to a child, Hey, I've got a new strategy for you today, and this is going to work because you have auditory weaknesses but visual strengths. You know, and, and you may not even explain it to a mom like that. You just might say, This is a way that we can provide some consistency and some predictability so that your child understands what comes next? And I've had, you know, one thing I always say to parents now is I've had great luck with this because it really does set a child up for success. And it sets a parent up to expect that this is going to work for her child. So you're all kind of started out on the right, at the right place on the right foot. And so can you see that with a therapy activity, how this would uh, really, really help you organize your session? And a lot of therapists do things like an all done box And so if, especially if you have a kid who, again, has a hard time letting go of the previous activity so that he can move on, you're going to show the visual schedule and you're just going to say, oh, and and what I say, you know, the first time that I introduce this to a child is look at what we're going to do today. Look at all these things. Oh, look what comes first. Look, it's, it's circles. It's our circles for circle time. Those are our circles. See, let's go get our circles. This is what we're doing first. And then you, you do the activity, you do it together, and then you come back when you're finished. Or if a child doesn't want to uh, let go of that activity or stop that activity, like we've talked about, we say, where's our Where's our chart? And I call it a chart instead of a schedule. You can call it whatever you want to call it, but where's the chart? What's the chart say we do next? And a lot of therapists have another step where you're pulling uh, the picture off your schedule and putting it in an all-done box or an envelope or some container that you've say to the child, oh, we're all done with that. That's finished. Let's see what's next. And it really helps some kids who have lots of difficulty with, again, the letting go piece of a transition, not necessarily that they don't want to do what comes next, but they're just always kind of not wanting to move on. And so that's a good way to do it too. And look, parents can use this at home with any kind of schedule that they're doing. And and this, I'll tell you right now, especially with so many parents being out of work or their routines being disrupted because their their business is closed or their teachers and they're not teaching in school right now or whatever and they're all home and they have had a hard time getting a routine going or a schedule going you know there could just be some uncertainty there or disorganization or lots of us with our own kind of inherent executive functioning flaws are having difficulty keeping things going with consistency and routine so that our mental health stays stable and so that we again get things done especially in this time when things are so disrupted so this might be a great strategy for families who are having a difficult time getting it done now will they be able to have a laminator and laminate all these pictures no but they could maybe they're able to just take the pictures on their phone and print the pictures and use them that way maybe they're able to again uh, come up with some way that they can use it. Maybe even use it on their phone with the sequence of pictures that they've taken or on a tablet where, you know, we're going to look at this picture on the tablet and do this first, and then we're going to look at this picture on the tablet and do this. Now, for some kids, introducing the tablet right there is going to be just another level of chaos that you don't want to do <laughs> because they're going to want the iPad then or want want to watch a video or something. So, for some kids, you know, there is some individualism here that you'll have to consider some factors, but that's That's the case with everybody, right? That's why we do therapies, because we are uh, making this specific to the child with his own constellation of weaknesses and strengths. But families could really use this strategy, again, if they are having a hard time getting things going. That's why things like to-do list work. And so this is what we're doing. We're taking a visual support system like an adult to-do list, but we're making it uh, relative to a toddler's developmental level, so that he can see, okay, these are the things we're going to do. This is my list. This is going to help me get through. And and that might be a great way to explain it to parents, too, so that they understand. And most of the children that you would use this, now you're not going to introduce it with a kid who doesn't need it. So don't feel like this is too much trouble. If a family, again, really is wanting a strategy or a different way to do it, and if it's really a problem, they're going to find out a way to make these visual systems work. So this was, this is a good idea, the visual schedule there. And again, it's kind of a visual support light. It's getting started to visual supports without as much time and an investment as some parents want to do. And I started talking about this earlier, but let me go ahead and mention it. Sometimes parents or even therapists will get, Just so excited about a strategy that you kind of you kind of go overboard and you want to do it with everything. So that you might talk about a visual system for a parent, and then (laughs) the next time you get to go in that family's home, they have everything labeled. They they've taken pictures of everything and they've put you know a picture of the chair on the chair with the word chair written there, and they spent you know three days kind of obsessively taking pictures and putting them everywhere. But there's no real communicative value in it. I mean, I guess the child they're helping the child symbolically link the meaning but my point here is you don't have to go so crazy with making a picture for every single thing think about it like I said at the beginning visual support light where you're going to start out with just a few little pictures and see if that would be uh, make a significant impact with how that child can participate or transition all right so the schedule is one way to do it particularly for children who, Have difficulty with transitions and difficulty moving on and difficulty staying on track, or they're a little bit negative and don't ever seem to want to do any kind of adult-directed activity. This would be a way to, (coughs) excuse me, to lead into that, especially for therapists when you get to go back to work and do sessions. If you're watching this after all, you know, if this gets, if you're going back to work, you get to. uh, This might be a strategy for you to use for a kid who again seems pretty. pretty independent and doesn't ever, you know, you, you feel like, oh, I have followed his lead so much that we got to kind of regain some balance here. And we, at least half the time, we've got to do some things for somebody else that's directing it. Because frankly, kids, when they go to preschool, don't get to call the shots. They don't get to decide when math is and when recess is and when lunch is. They have to follow the routine. And so for those of us who work in early intervention and those of us who are parenting toddlers who've had that kind of predisposition, we have to help them overcome that and give them ways to cope with that and strategies. And so this certainly is one thing you can do. All right. We talked about video modeling a minute ago, so I don't really want to review all that again. But for some children, video modeling is really, really important. And it's a great way, like I already talked about, that we might set the stage for a foundation to happen or set the foundation, set the stage for a skill to happen but they need that next little level. And so video modeling is a good way to do that. So if you're having a lot of trouble teaching a child, say to wave bye-bye or a child to say bye-bye or a child to, um, (coughs) excuse me, we were talking about imitating before, participate in a song with you. Do some hand motions in a song. Sometimes some really, directed specific video modeling will take care of that now you can find your own video on YouTube or you know Google whatever you want to do find something that somebody else has already done but guys the best way to do it is just to make a video of yourself uh, as a mom or of the child when you can get him to wave bye-bye and then you want him to do it more consistently show him that little video Or if he's dancing in imitation, let's say I've had a family do such a good job with this lately. It's a little guy who's uh, learning to imitate and doing some, just beginning to do some social games with uh, their families. And so they had on a Sunday when their family was there, they had everybody doing patty cake with him. And so they took a video. He got real excited because, you know, there are these cousins there and his grandparents and there are just a lot of people, you know, sitting there doing, you know, six or seven people sitting there doing that little patty cake with him and everybody was having such a good time and he did it. And so the parents were smart enough to take a video of him doing it. And then they could show him doing, they could show the child him playing that game later and he almost immediately started playing it again and that was something they were having a hard time getting him to do before they took the video. Now was it the video that worked or was it the just the rich social experience of having everyone sit there and clap and do patty cake and just really make a big deal about him and shower him with attention and affection and love Who knows? Is it that he remembers that event when he he remembers that feeling when he sees the video? Does that propel him to do patty cake better because he feels that, because he had that real experience, and then he remembers it because he watches it? I don't know. We could probably debate that all day long. (laughs) I bet we have some psychologist uh, friends and colleagues who would, you know, really sit and kind of pull that apart and think about it. I don't care why it works I just want it to work right and so sometimes that video modeling or if um, the mama game and I, that's one of our most popular uh, YouTube videos I shot it forever ago I need to reshoot it uh, again but it's where we um, call mama where we set up this really specific game where we're calling mama where she's hiding and we're saying mama mama making a video of that of mama of playing that game together where the child calls mama and then mama appears on the video and in real life so doing that together is going to be really 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 important and for some children can really really make a difference with that so talk to parents about how they can how they can use video modeling talk to parents how they can make some videos if they are working on waving bye-bye with a kid or blowing kisses with a kid (coughs) excuse me they may uh, take pictures of mom blowing kisses and of dad or, or take a video of mom blowing kisses and then take a video of dad blowing kisses and take a video of older sister blowing kisses and you know maybe the neighbor across the fence take a picture of <laughs> the neighbor blowing kisses that would be a way to work on it and then just show the child the video and say oh let's blow kisses let's do it come on come on remember you did it come on blow kisses blow kisses to daddy and so do that Do it in real life, but use your video modeling to do that too. So I think it's a great idea and a great suggestion. All right, next let's move on and talk about The most popular kind of visual support, and this would be social stories, and actually before we do that, I'm going to run through these benefits, which again I meant to do at the beginning, but this is one of the reasons that we use visual supports, and it might be the object that we talked about, but it might also be the social stories that we're going to talk about. But why do visual supports work? We already talked about that the first reason is we are meeting a child where they are, that this is their learning strength. They have already done something to let you know that pictures are meaningful and that they like pictures pictures so our little friends who are uh, we talked about before crazy about shapes colors letters and numbers they they find you know they're flipping through the book to find the number 11 every single time or this might be a kid when he's driving in the car with his parents can spot the the golden arches and you know he says donald's or mcdonald's or m or whatever when he's driving you know those are kids that again, have these strengths. That's the number one reason we would do it. The number one benefit, because we're meeting them where they are and we are using a strength to address a weakness. So we're using their visual strengths to shore up their auditory weaknesses or their language processing difficulty or their receptive language delays. However you want to think about it or however you want to word it so that it makes better sense to you, that's your number one benefit because you're going to give a child, you're going to teach him in a way that he already knows how to learn. The second reason or benefit of a visual support. And again, I'm reading directly from the handout for this podcast. And so if you are listening from teachmetotalk.com and you uh, aren't able to see my picture right now, every podcast now since last year, uh, we have uh, an opportunity for therapists to earn ce credit for only five dollars per hour five dollars per show which is such a great deal but you'll get a a handout and uh, therapists are telling me that they're using it for parent training opportunities especially now if they're trying to do some telehealth or some support via technology where they can send the parents the handout so you don't have to do the handout you can just email them the handout and they have that there and then you can tell them that this show is on YouTube. That they can watch it for, uh, kind of for homework, or if you don't want to call it homework, for background or to get more information, is certainly there for them. And then you can share the handout with them. Now the handouts are only available if you purchase the the course. And so some parents have told me that they're just doing the courses and purchasing the courses because they're using the handouts. And it's funny, parents have told me they're using the handouts with their therapist. And so I love working with parents like that who are so on the ball that they're bringing me things and texting me things and sending me links and saying have you seen this because I know when I have a parent like that that they are committed and that they are out there not just waiting for me to solve their problems and waiting for me to tell them every single thing that we should do for their child they're really taking the lead so if if you're that kind of parent and you're watching the show or listening to the show right now congratulations to you and don't forget that you can get these handouts too and uh, to use for your own your own benefit how you want to do them okay so back here to this benefit of a visual support they enable children excuse me to understand and predict the order of events for an activity so let's use a situation let's give you some examples with all of these benefits for how we could do this so let's say that riding the bus was hopefully will be again (laughs) with a child, riding a bus is a problem. And so what would you do for that? You could make a little social story. You could, you could do a story like we're going to talk about in a minute with a book, or we could even do something like this, just a really simplistic, uh, set of pictures here that tell what comes first. We're going to put our shoes on and leave our house or, you know, put our shoes on and get our coat or our backpack or whatever we're going to get. Then we're going to walk to the bus stop and then we're going to wait for the bus we'll look for the bus and then the bus is coming we the we wait until the doors open and the driver says come on the bus so can you see how we are laying this out in very predictable sequential steps so that a child knows everything that's going to happen now let me caution you here and i i want to say this so that you understand it especially if you're a parent And especially if you're a therapist and you haven't done a lot of early intervention, you're just moving back, say, from school-age children to see some kids in EI. Don't make the story or the visual support more complicated than the child's cognitive or language system will allow. And so sometimes therapists and parents, and I did this a lot at the beginning, I would get so excited about that book, kind of like what we talked about before, when a parent would get so excited about pictures that they take pictures and put up pictures everywhere in their home, and then it just becomes it's there's not it's not even that functional anymore because they've overdone it there's no real way to use all that sometimes we do that with a social story or a routine story or an event story and we make the book 35 pages long (laughs) because we get so excited about it or we think oh I've got to break this down into simple steps and we make it so long that we lose a kid and you know a lot of times halfway through the project you're like why am I even doing this this is way too much that I've way overkill for what I wanted to accomplish here. So even though you're trying to get a kid to understand the order of events, like riding the bus, don't make it so cumbersome that the child can't even get through the story with you. And and this is particularly important for children with really short attention spans. So if you want to do a social story, your, uh, your story may be three or four pages and that's it. And then as the child matures and makes progress and develops, then you can add some more pictures or then bump up to a different system or, you know, make a totally new book, whatever you want to do there. But just be sure that you're matching it to the child's language level. And we're going to talk about how to write these stories in a minute or how to get the text for that. You know the rule is you always want to stay one little language step above where they are currently processing, and so if a child or and even talking, so if he's saying if he's nonverbal and his and he and he barely follows one step directions with assistance, he's he's you know that's pretty new for him. You're not going to be able to have a paragraph about a picture that says today I'm going to go to the dentist because I want healthy teeth. My mom made me this appointment. It's uh, you know, Friday, April 17th, you, that's too much. You would just say, um, I will go to, I am getting ready to go to the dentist or on the day I go to the dentist. And it's, that's, that's what you do. You keep it as, as simple and as Uh, true to the child's developmental level as you can. And that's why a lot of our kids don't like books anyway because the language processing requirements for that book are just too hard for them. It's you're working at a level that's too complicated and so we've got to really really keep it simple even when we are helping them uh, understand an upcoming event. Okay the second benefit is it visual supports serve as scaffolds for the child's active participation in the activity. So again they can't do it by themselves, so you would never write a social story or use a visual schedule if you weren't having problems. <laughs> Why would you introduce another level there? You want kids to really depend on listening and language comprehension in their auditory systems for using the visual support when that's difficult for whatever reason and so you want it you want to only do this for things that kids are having difficulty with or like we talked about before, as a language learning opportunity. So I use little books like this. Uh, We'll talk about this in a minute, uh, kind of on the next one. So let's just save that for there. But scaffolds, this would be where kids really, really need assistance. And remember what scaffolding is? It's uh, when you're painting or when you're building something and you're up high, you need that next level and that next level and that next level of support. And so that's what using a visual system is. It's just providing that next level of support for a child. So let's say that, like, going to the potty let's say you're you're toilet training a child and you are giving him the steps that are necessary for him to go to the bathroom and so you uh you know are going to have your picture even if you're writing a story about it uh listing those steps and let's say that something that's been really you know he just doesn't remember uh, you know he doesn't always think about getting his pants down before he tries to sit on the potty or he forgets to flush or whatever it is that he's having difficulty doing the the pictures serve as a way to to help him help him remember help him know what comes next help him predict what comes next help him learn the order there and so that's what we mean by that the third benefit of visual supports is it uh, supports children in developing meaningful vocabulary for the activity or to address the language goals and this is what I like a lot about these kinds of little books because then we can talk about them and make sure that the child has a word for that or really knows what you mean when you're talking about that and if it's a new event like we talked about getting a haircut or going to the dentist or something that's different like that there or going to a new babysitter going to a new school or anything that would be new that a child would be doing you're preparing them you're giving them that advanced vocabulary so you know a teacher is a new word for a child before he goes to school and so that's going to be something you're going to talk about and and then even after he started school you use their little book to help them remember to help them be able to talk to you about it and communicate about it i made uh for a little boy last year a birthday book we, I was seeing him at that point um, in my home <laughs> and then I started to see him in his home and we made just a little book of the little birthday party that I had for him at my house and then we made a little book of the birthday party that he had with his family at the pizza place and his mom has used that birthday book a lot this year and we have used it for tons of things at the beginning we used the book receptively he w- he was talking then but you know certainly gosh now just oh he's made tremendous progress in a year, but at that point, it was even naming, so there's a picture of his grandmother, and you know, you say who's, even receptively, you say, where's Nana? Show me Nana, and he could point to Nana, or where's Nana's birthday hat, you know, and point to that, and we could really use an activity like that as a, a super meaningful receptive language activity, and he's a little guy that didn't really like books a lot, so this was kind of a transition for him to get him to really use books and to really want to sit through a book and want to stay with his mom. And, and that book was pretty long. So it was, and it, that was intentional. And so we did that to build attention. So instead of him looking at three or four pages, then he was able to look at seven or eight pages and then longer. And so certainly we can use these as language teaching opportunities too. So that's another benefit. The next benefit is it helps children link, uh, link with different communication and interactive partners. So if you do a little book about my day at preschool, with what happens there, the child can talk to not only mom about that, but he can have that show that little book to grandma. He can show that little book to dad. He can show that little book to anybody, to his teacher. You know, if you as his therapist have made a book about preschool, and I did this a lot, uh, Years ago, I had a little girl that this was super successful for who had selective mutism. And so at home, that meant her language skills were completely developmentally appropriate. But whenever she left her home, she did not talk. And one of the places she did not talk was her preschool. And so we made her a book about preschool. And we did one of the things that we're gonna talk about when we get down into the guidelines for writing the stories is we used a lot of carrier phrases. So she had really predictable things to say when she was using her book. And that's one of the first ways that she really consistently began to talk at school is to use her little book with teachers mostly with adults at the beginning and then uh, as children get older when they're past two they are more uh, generally more they move that move into that cooperative play phase with other kids so everything's not just parallel play where you know we do the same things but we're not really interacting when children become older they can use those little books if they're still needing these visual supports with other kids it's a way to kind of start the conversation or Uh, something to kind of again as their little object and event that they're sharing so that they've got some nice joint attention even uh, between children and so you can certainly do it that way the next benefit of using a visual support is to build joint attention and so it's remember what joint attention is remember there are three points there it's you the kid and something you're sharing and so for some kids who have these big time visual strengths like we've already talked about they may have difficulty sharing a book unless you've kind of set the stage that you've made the book with them and this book is about them and it's different than any other book and how it looks and how it feels and what it says. It's not that standard kind of cardboard book or even a book with pages. You know, again, you may make this with, I make them just with, uh, regular copy paper and then laminate the paper. And so the book and, and put a hole in it and then get a binder. One of those, uh, metal binders, you can get them at Walmart or something. They usually sell them in like a pack of 10, or you can order them off Amazon. And so you put it right, uh, you hole punch it. And then the book is there. You could do three if you wanted to, but I just like doing it in the upper corner and it, the book feels different. And so you're able to really build joint attention because you're helping the kid, uh, work through that and, and share that book with you. And so kids who are hyperlexic or echolalic, that might be something, a uh, strategy for you to use too, is to get joint attention going with this kind of book. And it's a way to kind of get you in and hook you in with what their interest is. And so I've had really good luck with that too. Another benefit is that it helps children remember their Predictable features of an event and so explain the activity it's the who what where when why they're doing something like getting a haircut and so that's really important with your wording so that you're providing all the players all the steps the characters and again you're not going to go crazy with 47 steps but if the book is about going to get a haircut you need to talk about um there's a lady who will be there who will put a cape around your neck. She holds the scissors. So you're going to talk about the haircut lady, whatever you want to call her, the hairdresser, the barber, I don't know. (laughs) But you talk about who that person's going to be so that they can expect that and anticipate that. And then the last uh, benefit of using visual supports is we're going to encourage adults and others to perform the routines in exactly the same way. So if you have a child who has a lot of difficulty going to bed, but he's going to stay with grandma or let's say mom's not going to be there at night, but dad's going to put him to bed. You've had a different, you're doing some, a social thing or a new job or whatever. And so dad needs to be able to do this routine in the same way that mom has done it, that you've gotten the routine down and that there are no issues. The child actually gets to bed and falls asleep, even though mom's not there. And, you know, again, the circumstances may be different. The book can really help provide that stability and that structure. And then the other caregiver is going to do that at Activity in the same way that uh, the child is accustomed to and so it certainly is going to help with transitions there so in this last few minutes let me give you some guidelines for writing these routine stories Um, So that you are able to do this. And let me just say too, you can Google social stories or search for routine stories or script books and remember to be as simple as you need to be. Don't do overkill, but don't go so simple that it's generic either. So if you have a child, again, sometimes we're so... um, We we like it to be so easy that we might use board pictures, board maker pictures, or little line drawings of things when it's not quite representational enough for a child. So, like I told you before, you can use Google Images to get the exact thing. You can you can Google sippy cup and probably find you know the brand of the specific sippy cup that a child uses to be able to kind of walk through that routine with some consistency there, so that your pictures match. Of what you're doing. So guidelines for writing these social stories. Let's get back to that. Determine your problem. So what is it you're trying to teach? You should only have one goal per story. So don't try to Think about, I'm going to teach, be nice to my friends, share my toys, and do what my teacher says all in one story. You've got to keep it simpler than that. Be a detective. So for therapists, this means that you've got to interview parents and you've got to decide what the problem is. You've got to gather the information you need to write the story. If you're a parent doing this, you already know this information, but you've got to think about what are the real problems here? Is it that in the bathroom that she can't get her pants down is the problem that she doesn't remember all these steps is it that she really potty training is so new to her that everything is new so that we've got to we've got to you know really help her understand what happens when we go in there so be sure that you're uh, really thinking about that and as a therapist you can help parents even in your telehealth visits to really decide what the problem is begin to write and edit the story and we already talked about using the right language level so you want to have this where a child where we adjust our vocabulary and our sentence length to match the child's developmental language level. So be sure that you're doing that. Write in first person or third person from the child's point of view with their various sentence types to address your goals. So you, m- I've written the stories both ways where we might say something like, I'm getting ready to go to school or um, I will go to... Whoever's birthday party? Where you're writing an I, or you might use the child's name there. Ben's day at school, or Ben's bedtime routine. So just see what might work better for a child. You can also kind of manipulate this if your language goal is for a child to use I or use personal pronouns there. If he always sticks to his name, maybe that's something you want to do with the social story. As as his speech language pathologist, you think this is a way for me to reinforce a more mature uh, pronoun usage here. And so think about it that way. You can kind of, you can use it that way too. So um, think about that and uh, which way that that's going to make most sense for you for where that child is with his language level. Be sure that you're using descriptive sentences that provide that, like we talked about with journalism, those WH questions, who, what, where, when, and why. So I ride the school to bus every, I ride the bus to school every morning. you got the that, that key, those key pieces of information there, be sure that you're including perspective sentences with sometimes I get scared or sometimes this is hard for me, those kinds of things. And you can use directive sentences too, where, uh, like, uh, I can pat my baby brother when he's crying. I can kiss his head too. And so you would want to give a child options for behaviors. And that's so important. You don't want to be overly negative where I don't hit my baby brother or I don't bite. Now, sometimes we have to do those kinds of things, but think about how you can keep your wording super positive with what the child should do rather than what the child shouldn't do. And lastly, you want to be sure that you are reading the story together and doing the event and activity together. So what good is it if you write this great bedtime story routine and then you violate the routine? (laughs) You skip the steps. It doesn't do any good. So make sure that you are... Staying true to what the story is, add parts, take out parts that you need for a child. And again, your goal here, what are your goals? It's to provide emotional security for that child so that he can get through that event and to hopefully address his language levels at the same time. All right, that's it for today. I hope that I've given you some new information about using visual supports or at least getting started with visual supports for toddlers. You can always find out more information about helping children with language delays at my website at teachmetotalk.com. If you're watching on YouTube, that link is below. And again, if you're a therapist listening, and uh, you be sure that you're going and getting your continuing education credit for that because you've already done the work. All right, thank you so much for joining me. I'm RMI's Pediatric Speech-Language Pathologist, and you've just watched TeachMeToTalk.com's podcast.